0: Welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Pelted by gamma rays, ain't we unglamorous? We're your ever-loving hosts. I'm Matzy. And I'm Micah. We assign each
1: other cartoons to watch, and then we gather on this podcast to discuss and review them. But first, uh, let's catch up. What's going on in Matzytown?
0: I haven't really had a lot of time to watch cartoons or at least devote myself to them. I've just been watching little clips here and there. Um, But one thing that I thought that we should talk about just briefly is, have you seen this um, the SpongeBob SquarePants episode that got pulled? No. (laughs) So I guess... This is, Spongebob is on a number of streaming services. I think it's on Amazon Prime Video, and I think it might be getting added to Peacock now that Peacock is starting to stockpile stuff. Oh my goodness. Uh, Too
1: many streaming services.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. Peacock's not available in Canada, so we don't have to worry about it. Right. Um. But... Yeah, so there was an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants that apparently Nickelodeon pulled from Rotation back in 2018 for being inappropriate. Okay. And now they've added another one. So the original one, I think it was called Midlife Crustacean. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, you know the one. One of the best. Yeah?
1: I think so. If well, this is the one I'm thinking of.
0: Well, apparently there's a part in there where Spongebob and friends break into a woman's house and steal her underwear. Yeah. So that's, that has not been in rotation since 2018. But this new one, (laughs) see if you follow this. Hmm. Uh, The episode is called Quarantine Crab. And the idea of this episode is that some health inspectors um, pinpoint an outbreak of clam flu at the Krusty Crab and quarantine the restaurant. Okay. And so it's it's kind of a panic thing, of increasing panic as any, all the customers, of course, are trapped inside, and anyone who starts exhibiting signs of illness is ostracized from the group and thrown in the freezer. I see. And they've decided that maybe vilifying the idea of quarantining and fear-mongering and shunning anyone who displays signs of illness isn't appropriate in 2021. Hmm. That makes yeah. some sense. That makes sense. Yeah. It seems like a relatively innocent plot, or at least it would have two years ago. Hmm. And now, it, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a lot of things have changed in the way people view things like that, I, I guess it's just another one of those cartoon gags that you know once some real world ramifications come down you're like oh actually maybe we shouldn't do that anymore it's as old as the hills you know right the 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 black stereotypes mm-hmm. um things like that but it's it's just an interesting it, it was an interesting thing to see that just pop up and like oh okay yeah this is the things you don't i don't know when that episode originally aired so i don't know how old it is but you know to see it come through to now and be like oh that was there hmm yeah okay maybe not
1: i haven't seen it uh the other one i have seen like i said it's one of my favorites you've you have you seen old man crabs
0: uh old man crabs oh what was it called midlife oh uh uh um uh midlife crustacean midlife crustacean have you seen that one i have not Although well, <laughs> hearing you spout about it, I may have to go and check it out if I can find it.
1: I, I always thought that it was uh, pretty amazing that mm-hmm. this Nickelodeon cartoon
0: had the concept of a panty raid in it. Well, I mean, Nickelodeon, more than any other company, has a history of, like, you think about Rocco's Modern Life, mm. or Ren and Stimpy, Um I would say if there was a cartoon that was going to, or if there was a company that was going to do that, I would say it would be Nickelodeon. Okay. Well. There's two sides to Nickelodeon though, right? Like, you know, there's (laughs) like the the Rugrat side Hmm. and there's the Rocco's Modern Life side. There's the Invader Zim side. Yeah, I guess so. SpongeBob is their cash cow though, or was. That, yes, that's true. That is very true. I was looking looking this up today, I read that apparently it is the fifth longest running animated series of all time. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um
1: so I, <laughs> that that episode's full of great jokes. Uh mm-hmm. but like the the premise is that Mr. Krabs is feeling old, so he wants to do things that'll make him feel young. <laughs> and the setup of the episode has recurring things that make him feel old. So like He's, he's walking to the Krusty Krab, and already on the way, there's, like, a fish man walking behind him, getting very upset at how slow he is. He's like, <laughs> come on, come on. And he passes him and says, and you've had your blinker on for the last block. And he's got, like, uh, he's got blinkers on the back of his trousers. <laughs> but okay, okay. So, then he's thinking, like, am I old? Am I really old? And he's like, he just uh, absentmindedly gets in a line of super old, uh, like, elderly fish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> then, so he he asks one ahead of him, uh, "Say, where does this line go anyway?" And he looks ahead, and it's to the graveyard.
0: <laughs>
1: wow, that's dark. It is. It's a fake out, but still so funny.
0: Man, that sounds good. I mean, SpongeBob Square. Let's talk about SpongeBob SquarePants for a second. That's a good cartoon.
1: It's a fantastic cartoon, and you know, uh, it's one of those cartoons that makes me feel like I was born in the wrong era, because <laughs> by comparison, we have Ren and Stimpy, yeah. and uh, I feel sheepish when I want to compare those two cartoons.
0: Yeah, or even earlier than, I mean, Ren and Stimpy, it's like I said last week, you know, a lot of the cartoons were the of the 80s were designed to sell merchandise, or they were just nothing. And the 90s... Maybe you could point to Red and Stimpy as one of the things that started it. Although, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it was probably Disney's animated series like Gummy Bears and DuckTales that started it. But mm. the idea of cartoons that were like, no, we're going to actually put some effort into this. And we're not trying to sell you anything because Reagan's not president anymore. It is like, no, these we're just making these cartoons to be good cartoons. And, mm. you know, like... You have the whole Disney afternoon, you have Ren and Stimpy, Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, like that list goes on. It was like 1990 was the point when suddenly cartoons got good. And like you said, like, that's the point where you and I were just hitting our teens. Right. And, and yeah, and, and we missed out on, you know, to be a kid and have these cartoons that are made for the sake of being cartoons and are good, like SpongeBob SquarePants. Like that we, we miss, you know, we enjoyed the cartoons that we had, but we missed out on cartoons that the makers actually put a lot of good effort into.
1: Yeah. But you're talking, uh, do you mean like there's an evolution on it? Cause you're talking about like I'm comparing Ren and Stimpy to SpongeBob, right? Mm. So that's already in the cusp of a cartoon made to be a cartoon. And uh, Red and Stimpy is just no comparison, right? I mean, they're not both gross-out yes. shows, but they hold some of the same... Uh, uh, they're they're categorically a little the same.
0: You're right. I mean, it, it, cartoons have been evolving. Like, this is a great time for cartoons. Like, I think about... I think about the cartoons that I think are, are like, S-tier great cartoons. Mm-hmm. And I would... I would hazard that most of them have actually come out within the last 20 years when I've been over 20. And maybe it's mm. because I'm old enough to appreciate them now, or maybe it's just that they are really good. But you're right. Like, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants is really good. And, and, you know, something like Ren and Stimpy, I mean, Ren and Stimpy has some iconic moments, but, you know, a lot of that show does not hold up, especially after the first season. Right, right, right. So what about you? What have you been doing?
1: Well, on the other side, I've actually been watching a lot of cartoons. Can you imagine? (laughs) Um, So part of it, a couple of my favorite anime series have finished for the season. Mm. Um, So I guess I had more of an appetite to catch on some other things. Uh, I watched more of uh, My Life as a Teenage Robot, which I'll be talking about later, the, the assignment I got. Right. I've resumed Star vs. the Forces of Evil.
0: Oh, good. That is one of those S-tier cartoons I just mentioned. I love that show. Right. Right. I
1: remember one of my other acquaintances said that it was good and then it got bad, but you countered that it
0: just remained good. I said that it started off as the first, like, two-thirds of the first season make you think that it's going to be one thing. Mm -hmm. And then the character Toffee is introduced and from that point on, the series just turns on its head and becomes something completely different.
1: The uh, where I stopped was the um, end of the first season. OK, so I've resumed now and I'm uh, maybe I'm on halfway through the second. OK, so, um, yeah, I, I quite enjoy uh,
0: <laughs> the uh, episodes of Ludo uh, rebuilding from nothing. Yes, yes. Ludo's pretty good. And there's a lot of, like, I was late to realizing what was going on with Ludo, like what his wand was. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure, in, in, and I'm a sheepish in, you know, I won't go into too much detail because one, I don't know how much you know, and two, I don't want to give spoilers okay. on a story heavy show like that on this podcast. But like you, when you saw Ludo's wand, you realized what it was right away, right? Sure. Yeah, I didn't. It took me a little while to go, oh, wait a minute. And then look back at it and go, oh, that's what that is. Hmm. And I feel the word you used earlier was sheepish. Um, yeah. I be like I should have seen that. Yeah. So. So. It's a I have,
1: and also uh, I'm watching a lot of cartoons because uh, just to like hunt for things to mm. <laughs> to use to in give, this podcast. To give me. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Okay. Have you heard of Pui Pui Molkar? I don't think so. Okay, it's it's on Netflix right now. Um, I think it's the hot new thing. <laughs> oh. So it's a stop motion show, and all of the cars are guinea pigs—not real <laughs> guinea pigs, but they have like uh, okay, yeah, guinea pig faces, and they're uh, they don't roll on their wheels; they rather crawl. Okay, and uh, the people uh, from long shots are figurines, but close up. Are uh stop motion people. Okay. So, you know, really mugging it up and still frames and the like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This show is adorable. It sounds like it. It's one of these shows that's only I think the episodes are only about three minutes long, maybe. Hmm. We kinda we discovered it uh one Sunday morning and then just watched them all. It's like a modern day pingu? Yeah, kinda. Like <laughs> <laughs> is it english like what, what where does it originate oh it's japanese okay but it's uh i mean there's no speaking in it right mm, okay. it's just a bunch of squeaks and you know humans going like
0: oh
1: ah! okay. yeah yeah okay
0: yeah so Huh. so yeah. pretty good and i recommend it all right i'll take a look at that why not got anything else or shall i just talk about the anime i've been watching
1: okay uh yeah let's hear a lot uh Last time, I
0: recommended that you
1: start off JoJo's Bizarre Adventure.
0: Which was actually more of a process than I expected, because there's a number of different things called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, oh, was it, it was, not obvious? It wasn't as easy. Well, like the, the thing is... I can't remember if you told me last week or if you told me like beforehand or something, but at some point you had mentioned that this is from 2012. Yeah. And that helped a lot. Hmm. Um, so what I found was Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, subtitled, I think it was subtitled The Phantom Blood. That's correct. And, you know, because it's anime, there's a subtitled version and there's an English dubbed version. Um, and there might be a version that was also English dubbed uh, for broadcast in in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked the English dubbed version. Good. Normally, I like my anime subbed, but I figured th- this is going to be the kind of thing where the voice acting is probably like a thing. This is, this is probably the way that most people know this is by the sub uh, dubbed version. So I figured mm-hmm. I would go with that. All right. And so the... Huh, not a lot happens over the course of three episodes. And yet what happens is so varied that it's hard to give a synopsis. Um, but basically there's this boy named Jonathan Joestar. Everyone calls him Jojo, um, who's an heir to the Joestar fortune. And early on in a little prologue, um, some uh, ruffian attempting to rob a wreckage uh, inadvertently saves uh, the Joestar matriarch's life and the life of his baby, who turns out to be Jonathan Joestar. Hmm. The patriarch. Yes. Pa- did I say matriarch? Yeah. I do that a lot. I did that last episode, too. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think I'd... Okay. Anyway, um, I'm I'm all over the place with this synopsis. Okay. That's okay. You gave me a chance to pop my peas, so. <laughs> All right. So, fast forwarding. JoJo, who was a baby in the initial wreckage, has grown up. Also, the ruffian, Dario Brando, I believe his name was. He is old and dying, but he has a son who is is the same age as Jonathan. His name is Dio. And, of course, the ruffian is a... a, a Dario is, you know, he's just a jerk, and he's also dying, and Dio is... He's, you know, brought up well, but he's also kind of a jerk. Whereas Jojo is quite put upon by his father. He wants to be a gentleman, but he just kind of can't do anything right in his father's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two things come to a head when Dario finally dies um, and beforehand gives Dio a letter, basically calling in the debt that uh, Joe Star. Do you know, by the way, what the father's name is? George, George Joestar. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So it basically calls in the debt that George Joestar owes uh, Dario, and so uh, the Joestar family ends up taking in Dio as another son. Um, and it's it's one of the tropes that I hate, which is the the um, the Eddie Haskell thing, where okay. he seems like a good guy, but he's actually a complete villain to the hero of the story. And that's Mm -hmm. what this is. This is, you know, the, he is just a horrible person to Jojo, but he seems quite nice to everyone else and everyone likes him. And for some reason he makes it his mission to destroy Jojo's life. Right. I'll I'll go episode by episode. So for this, this first episode kind of sets this up. Um, Jojo eventually decides that he is not going to take any more crap from Dio and stands up to him. And they're kind of, the first episode kind of leaves at that point where Jojo has finally stood up for the first time. And now Dio realizes that there might be more to this Jojo. He might not be such a panty waist. Mm -hmm. Um, Also involved here during that initial wreckage, there was a mask in the uh, belongings of the Joestar family. Now, This mask doesn't do much in the first episode, although some blood gets on it and some spikes come out the back of it. Yeah. That's kind of all we see for this one. The second episode, fast forward seven years to where Jojo is now a ridiculous hulk of muscle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's a guy in the video game world named Jeff Gerstman, Um. And he had a flirtation with anime and someone he's, he mentioned once that people had suggested that he watched Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and his counter was that he hated the character design of it. And I watched the first episode of this and I thought, okay, this is anime. And the second episode I went, oh, now I see what Jeff Gersman's talking about because these guys look crazy. These, this is based on a manga. Yeah. And, these character designs really look like an an amateur fan manga artist's idea of manga, like their the chins are so pointy, the shoulders are kind of off-center in some shots that just it's just such weird ridiculous character designs of like huge mass of muscle like the Hulk.
1: Well, do you remember a series and movie called Fist of the North Star?
0: I'm aware of it.
1: I yeah, do think so, I've watched it, but the, the manga Kai was heavily influenced by it. Okay. I mean, Jonathan looks very much like the star of that thing.
0: I thought he looked familiar. Like he, he kind of there were parts where he kind of looked like Goku, and I kept kept having to remind myself that Goku didn't have blue hair.
1: There's a long evolution for this, right? I mean, he's been doing this for years. So yeah the first three storylines, everybody looks like this. Okay. All all the main characters are roided beyond belief. Yeah. And uh, he's evolved. So now everybody's kind of uh, slinky and svelte.
0: (laughs) I guess. Which is weird because it's like, so the early part of this first episode is that um, uh, Dio and Jojo are in university together and they're playing rugby. By the way, this is 1800s England. I should have Mm. mentioned that. And the, I don't know if you've watched the dubbed or the subbed version, but these are quite clearly North American voice actors putting on fake English accents. Yeah. Like that was the first thing I noticed immediately as soon as people started talking. Like these are not English actors. Um, but anyway, um, so they're playing rugby and they establish very quickly that Jojo is super muscular and he's got like, you know, the entire other team trying to tackle him and they can't bring him down. And then he throws the ball to Dio who is very fast. And so I figured, okay, this is what's happened. Because Dio... In the first episode, there was a little bit of boxing where Dio was dodging all of JoJo's punches. And so I figured, okay, so Dio is really fast and JoJo is really strong. And that works for a while, although it changes. Also, at this point, George is ill. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gravely ill. And... I'm trying to get my wrap my thoughts around this because it's, it's so much happens. Um, While you
1: do that, I was thinking that the, uh, this, the series is kind of nutty, right? Yeah, so I, I think in that vein, as far as uh, the voice acting went, they didn't worry about it, right? They made sure that every uh, English aristocrat was pushed as far as they could for accent. And every Cockney guy is pushed as far as they can to be silly. So, so George is sick,
0: yeah. Yeah, George is sick. Um, Jojo is suspicious of why he's sick, and he soon uh, encounters Dio having taken over. Dio is taking water and medicine for their father up the stairs because the butler is getting too old to do it. And uh, Jojo suspects that he has been poisoning their father. Um, And so he takes the medicine to London to find a Asian apothecary who can identify the substance. Well, he Mm. originally goes to find a doctor, but the doctors can't. So then he decides for an Asian apothecary. And what prompts this is that he finds the letter um, that uh, Dario uh, sent. and. Dario's illness that he describes has all the same symptoms that their father has. And I wrote down this, um, exactly what Jojo says. He says, this letter, having read it, all has been made clear. The voice that... <laughs> yeah. This is, okay, <laughs> anime does this where, and, and this one in particular does it a lot, where there's a lot of internal monologue. Sure. And it's it's interesting that Western animation doesn't really do this as much, where everything will just stop while the thoughts that a character has are just recited. It's sort mm. of a tell rather than show. And, and to be fair, I don't know exactly how you'd show some things like this, but it's it's something that anime does. I guess it's just a cultural thing where there's just long expanses of you know, somebody's being punched and as he's flying through the air, he's like, oh, he hit me so hard. And I'm sure that he put his thumb in my eye on purpose. Like, I think there's two things
1: here. I yeah. think that most or at least a lot of, of anime is based on comics. Yes. And it happens
0: a lot in comics. Yes, for right. sure. Uh, you see that with would... Spider-Man too, in the Spider-Man cartoons, because Spider-Man has that internal monologue as well. Yeah. And I think in just
1: uh, in Western cartoons, they just say it aloud instead.
0: yeah. Anyway, i i found that <laughs> i found that line ridiculous. This hmm. letter, having read it, all has been made clear. Yeah. Um. So anyway, he goes to London and tries to find uh, what this powder is, and he encounters some thugs. Um. He goes to Ogre Alley. I think it is Ogre Street, Ogre Alley. Ogre um, Street. Yeah. Um, Ogre Street, where there are villains who you know, obviously just try to take him down because it's the bad part of London. And something that I really liked here is one of the villains, uh, Jojo punches this villain and the villain realizes that he's so strong and so tough that he could have just killed him, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. And he suddenly gains this respect for Jojo for that. And Jojo says basically that he... The reason that he held back was that he didn't, he was here to get information and he didn't have any right to inflict the grief of loss on another family. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Something that I think about a lot is the mortality of minor characters in, um, (laughs) in media and like the, you know, like a guard who's standing outside and it's just this quick thing where Deadpool or whoever will come and kill him and just move on. And I think about this guy, you know, this guard was probably alive for like 30 years. He he had an entire life leading to this point. And now it's over and it's not even important to any plot. Mm. And the idea that Jojo actually thought about that, you know, actually thought about the lives of other people, even villains and the people in their life. That's amazing to me. Like, I instantly fell in love with the Jojo character just for having that philosophy.
1: Yeah, this one, he's definitely gooder
0: than good. Yes. So I love that. Now, at this point, um, Dio is worried about what Jojo is going to discover. And so he follows along and he has a new plan where he wants to kill Jojo. And the way that he intends to do it is with the mask. Because as you recall, if the mask gets blood on it, spikes shoot out the back. And he decides, he he has seen Jojo's notes because Jojo was an um, archaeology major in university, I guess. And he's made some notes mm. on this mask. And it seems like the spikes will dig into the brain of whoever's wearing it if blood gets on it. Mm-hmm. And so he decides that this will be the perfect way to kill Jojo. But he is accosted by some thugs and decides to test his theory by putting the mask on one of the thugs and soaking it in blood and what ends up happening is that the thug becomes a vampire mm-hmm. uh dio is almost killed until the sun rises and its vampire rules so the vampire is dusted yeah so now jojo or er, and now dio has some ideas um mm. he returns home and he finds this Going into the third episode now. He returns okay. home, he finds that Jojo is there, and Jojo has found the apothecary. He is determined that it's poison. And also the thug whose life he spared has followed along. And capital letters on my notepad. Alright. The th- this this noble thug's name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. <laughs> yeah. Holy smoke!
1: Okay, I'll step in here. Um, So, this is something that JoJo's does. Yeah? It names tons of its characters after musicians and songs. I was hoping it would. Yeah, like, this is perhaps the only cartoon in history that has named a character after Kenny Loggins and killed him. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's one thing, though. If you were to keep watching this... Mm -hmm. there's different versions, right? But the one that is, like, official, they, I guess, were worried about using the names of some real people. So in some instances, they skirt around it. Like this? Well, no,
0: this is pretty band, blatant. Well, well, the band is R.E.O. Speedwagon. Yeah. And they've, like, this is skirting, like, Robert E.O. Speedwagon. Like, it's blatant. Like, you know, you instantly know what they're talking about. But but go, go ahead. T- give me your example. Well, like,
1: say... If if you were say watching the, the uh subtitle of an episode, there's a character named Santana, <laughs> but they make sure that everyone says that his name is Sanviento. Uh okay. Okay. Or way further ahead, there's a character named Cool Ice. Uh I'll let you guess what his name should be.
0: Uh Cool Ice. Oh, I guess that could be a lot of guys. Uh Vanilla Ice. That was the first thing I thought of, but I was like, there's no vanilla
1: in there. Yeah. Heck, if you watch a few more episodes, you'll see a couple character names, characters named Dire and Straits happens <clears throat> throughout the whole thing.
0: Yeah. That's pretty good, actually. I don't, even, hey. even setting aside the band, like Dire Straits is a phrase. And so the idea of having two characters named Dire and Straits, like I'm into that. Like I like, mm. I like character to some extent I like characters that have a theme like that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little too hit over your head, like, like the three flunkies in The Nightmare Before Christmas who are named Lock, Stock, and Barrel, Right. Like, that's a little, mm, I don't know. But like, I like that, Dire Straits. Like I would just love, even setting aside the musical theme, I would just love to see two characters named Dire and Straits. That's pretty awesome. Well, it's just kind of,
1: it's a fun thing to look forward to in the show, right? Oh, yeah, like, what's well, yeah, okay. this guy to be named after? But.
0: Oh yeah, okay. So anyway, uh, he confronts Dio. Dio feigns uh, remorse, and I wrote down at this point, Jojo, don't be an idiot. And this is where <laughs> Robert E.O. Speedwagon comes out and says, no, Jojo, don't be an idiot. Yeah. I like R.E.O. Speedwagon. Yeah. Not the band. I mean, you know, the band is a different thing, but this character, I like him. Yeah. He's like, he has such um a morality to him, like a code of ethics and also the idea that he can he knows so much about evil from being mm-hmm. steeped in it that he can just tell like this Dio guy's worse than you think like don't be an idiot right and fortunately the father and the police are there as well and they heard the whole thing and um but this at the last minute here Dio once more playing on and and this is something i loved he's like oh Jojo i want you to be the one to put the handcuffs on me and Again, I'm like, Jojo, don't be an idiot. And (laughs) Ario Speedwagons is, Jojo, don't be an idiot. Yeah. And uh, knowing what the mask can do, Dio takes this opportunity to apply it to himself, which I sort of figured he would at some point. Um, And he makes himself into a powerful vampire. There's a big overwrought fight scene here. The father is killed. The... The mansion set on fire because it's it's vampire rules. He's undead; he can't be killed. And they determine that fire will injure him, but he heals faster than the fire can burn him. And so there's a a complex plan to that Jojo devises to burn the mansion so completely that the center of it is so hot that it can burn Dio before he can regenerate. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happens. He knocks him into the fire. Jojo is burst out at the last minute. Dio is burned to cinders. And uh, the end. At least until after the credits. And we'll talk about the credits in a second. Okay, good. And there's an after credits point, which I almost missed, where the Asian apothecary is looking for the mask, but uh, Dio's hand comes out of the rubble and drains his blood. And it uh, turns out this isn't over. Yeah. Now, let's talk about these ending credits. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe it was last week when you gave me this to watch. You said just in passing, but the memes. Right. And I was like, okay, I haven't seen this show. I don't know what these memes are. As soon as the ending credits came on, I was like, okay, now I know the memes because the the ending credits song is Roundabout by Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And... I can't think of specific examples, but this is definitely a meme, you know, something happening and then it cuts off like it freeze frames at the end with this song playing. Yeah. Which is not how this show ends. Like it has an ending credit sequence. I don't maybe actually maybe the North American version does freeze like this, but.
1: It um, does. It it freezes and then you have that to be continued text that slides
0: in. Oh, and that's when the song bumps in.
1: Yeah, the, to varying degrees, right? But usually you have that little...
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this was worthwhile just to see the origin of that. Like, oh, that's why people do that. Because I didn't know. Yeah. I thought it was like, I I wouldn't have suspected this. I would have no. thought, you know, like, Arrested Development or something. Like, I, I never would have suspected this, but... It's like the anime Rick Rolled. Yeah, yes. Yes. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So on the whole, let me see a couple of points here. There's something that stopped my heart in the first episode because okay. you know how people have triggers where there's like okay. a trigger warning. It's like, I don't want to hear about self-harm. I don't want to hear about. Correct. Yeah, know, yeah. Whatever. My thing is cruelty to animals. Oh, okay. And there's, mm, there, there's a point in that first episode and it sets up what a villain Dio is. Mm. But I was like, I didn't want to see that. Yeah. Two um. stages. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um. This says the anime thing where <laughs> any character who has hair color other than brown or black is important. Hmm. Like the, it really stands out. Like I noticed it in the rugby scene when all the rugby players are gathered around Joe Joe and be like, Hey, you, you did it. Hooray. That was awesome. And I'm looking around and it's like, They're all brown or black. Dio is blonde. Jojo is blue. Mm. These are the important characters. Um, I think some of Jojo's plans... Or not Jojo, Dio's plans in the beginning are really weird. Like, his idea to ruin his first love by kissing her. Yeah. Like, oh, you thought your first kiss was going to be with Jojo, but it was with me! (laughs) He does whatever he wants! Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was... I mean, and it, you know, it set up a good gag where it's like, oh, she's using muddy water to what, like, she was so disgusted by it. She was just drinking whatever water she could find just to wash it out. But, like, Mm. that whole, but that, as a plan, like, that was just kind (laughs) of dumb.
1: It's kind of like melodrama, though, right? Yeah. I guess, like, it's a little jarring because it's comparatively innocent to later things that happen in the series where I think they lean in hard to, like, the evil guys in this show have to be more evil than real people, which means that they do things <laughs> that are beyond the pale.
0: And I guess that matches with Jojo being a better person than any hero that I've seen. You know, somebody who has, you know, he's he's dumb, but fortunately he has RO Speedwagon there to s- set him straight. But he's a good person. You noted that it was hard to actually figure
1: out which series this was. To some extent, so the other seasons have titles to differentiate them, right?
0: They do. Yes. Like the thing that threw me off was the first thing that popped up when I searched, like I, there's a website that I go to that has cartoons on it. And yeah. the first Jojo's Bizarre Adventure showed up was Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and then in parentheses 2000. And normally that means that that's the year that it came out. Okay. I was like, oh, that, mm, that's too early. Apparently it's not like it's, it's a, a, a sequel to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, like maybe like the 5th or 6th season or something. You might know better than
1: no, me. But what I think what I think that would have been This is like an old manga, okay? So they tried making an anime once upon a time. And I guess it, it didn't go fully through, right?
0: Well, I just read the synopsis of it and it seems like it's set in like 1989 or something and it's yes. like Yes. JoJo's great-great-grandson, Joseph. I yeah,
1: think? the the 3rd season uh, of, of the anime that you watched is the same one like okay. I said they, they they took a kick at that can before
0: mm-hmm.
1: right this is sort of uh, the storyline that people slept on right okay so I guess it took it took a second try in Japan to catch on and then it took maybe some more time here to catch on so that 2000 that 2001 was like an earlier iteration of a, a, a cartoon you could think of this
0: Jojo as a reboot I guess sure okay that's fair that's sort of what i expected like yeah because i had to go to the wikipedia article and say like okay jojo's bizarre adventure this is the season that started in 2012 uh it's probably this phantom blood one let's take Mm -hmm. a look okay there's the mask that micah showed me this is probably it see that's interesting (laughs) about
1: the series you noted that the other one has uh jojo's Great grandson, I guess it would be great. Great grandson, yeah. Hundred years it, later,
0: it jumps generationally, and it seems like the the it seems like the main character always has a first name that starts with Joe. Yes, like there's George, and this is Jonathan. Um, this later was yeah. Joseph. Yeah, so it's always the, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the, and then they do some funky contrived ways to do this, right? Where it's not always just like, oh, he just had more children or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's.
0: It's a funky series. It is. I like the opening sequence, by the way. Uh, It's it's talking about credits. I think it has a really dynamic and cool uh, opening sequence. The first episode doesn't have it, but the other ones did. And I really liked, I really enjoyed watching the opening sequence of this.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's a really weird series because, because of all the memes, people have ideas about what it is, right? Right. And then to start watching it, Like, I saw this exchange, which I thought was pretty funny, where somebody said, oh, this is about vampires? And the answer was, uh, sort of, but not really. So, it goes all over the place. For anybody that kind of wants, that that does want to give JoJo's a try, the first two storylines, starting with Jonathan and and then Joseph, they sort of all fit together. And there's continuity between the other ones, but they take a tremendous jump. Like, the third season in the eighties gives me more of a Yu-Gi-Oh kind of vibe. Like uh, you didn't even get to Jonathan's superpowers, but they, they, they changed the whole uh, it's no longer really that much about vampires and and no longer about uh, uh, in in this early going, his powers are like uh, Eastern mysticism things.
0: I think going in, I thought this was because the word bizarre in there and hearing that it had weird character designs. I think I expected it to be weirder than it was. Like, right. I think in my mind I was picturing one piece.
1: Hmm. But it is at the same time. Um. You know, you remember uh, in the first episode I talked about that uh one second from every Warner Brothers cartoon? Yes. Uh I also like one second from every JoJo's episode.
0: Uh, okay. I bet that would be informative for a, a Luddite like me. No. No? Because <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs>
1: Well, they've chosen all the craziest stuff, right? Oh, so <laughs> it'll make your head explode. <laughs> like you're saying, this is normal. JoJo's gets a little crazy.
0: Okay, all right. I'll 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 take your word for it that there's bizarreness in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Now, um, what could be more bizarre than anime?
1: Maybe Western cartoons that borrow from it. Okay. So uh, you recommended that I watch. My Life as a Teenage Robot, specifically the long episode, Escape from Cluster Prime. Yes. So, I'll fill people in on what My Life as a Teenage Robot uh, is. uh, It's produced by Frederator and created by Rob Renzetti, who directed Dexter's Lab, well, some episodes of Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack, which really informs the way the show looks. So it's a, it's about a robot designated XJ9, but she prefers to be called Jenny and she's torn between her purpose of defending the earth against villains and disasters, but also wanting to have independence and freedom and be able to have fun like uh, a human teenager would. Yeah.
0: She's a teenager. She's a teenage robot. Yeah. Although they also establish in another episode that she's actually five years old. Oh wow, it's got that (laughs) "born yesterday" thing. Yeah. uh,
1: um, So her inventor is Dr. Nora Wakeman, and she's also like a uh, controlling mother. So she wants uh, Jenny to focus on purely being a superhero. Oh, I I guess I'll mention some of the the voice actors here. Uh, Jenny is voiced by it's uh, Janice Kawaye, right?
0: I believe that's correct.
1: I think it's like a Japanese uh, take on uh, uh, Kauai, the um, island in Hawaii.
0: I believe, you know, not to stomp on what you're probably going to talk about later, but I think you said you watched some other episodes of this too. Yeah. Um, Did you see the one where Jenny's uh, language disc goes on the fritz? I don't think so. So there's an episode where Jenny, um, loses her ability to speak English. Like her, Mm -hmm. she loses her language disc or it breaks or something. And she can only speak Japanese. Mm. And this is because that voice actress actually speaks fluent Japanese. You know, I was thinking about,
1: as I looked at her credits and all of her credits are Asian people pretty much. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, why is that right? Does she, is there an expectation of what the sound should be and she fits the bill, but I guess also she can, uh, speak japanese so that probably helps a little bit if there's ever a line that needs to come up like that dr nora is voiced by uh candy milo who i guess is most famous for having taken over the role of dexter in dexter's lab Mm, yeah so yes jenny's got this conflict that she wants to do normal teenage stuff uh, and she has a chance meeting with brad and tuck two brothers brad's a teenager and tucks a little kid uh, when they go to Dr. Wakeman's lab to retrieve a baseball. This isn't in Escape from... No, Poster no, this Prime. isn't... This is, no, this this is setting just, up. Setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Jenny proves that she can form friendships and have a life outside of the lab while still fulfilling her role as a superhero. And that convinces Dr. Wakeman to soften her stance and allow her some more freedom. So some other, other characters known know in the show, there's Sheldon Lee, the high school nerd who develops a one-sided infatuation on Jenny. There's the two most popular girls in school, so confirmed by Jenny's popularity metrics scan. <laughs> and they're Brit and Tiff. Funny thing. Okay, so like, I think uh, they're kind of like the bulk and skull of this show. <laughs> yeah,
0: the show. Okay. Yeah. The bullies
1: from Power Rangers. And I think that because... We're supposed to be disdainful of them, but I feel like it's really punching down to uh, have a bad opinion on these people as opposed to this super-powered robot.
0: Yeah. Collectively, these two are known as the Crust Cousins. Yeah. And uh, one of
1: them, did you notice the voice of one of them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cree Summer is uh, Tiff. Yeah. The show is kind of, it's like a teenage Astro Boy. Hmm. But I would say the rhythms and humor are more like Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got very good sight gags to it. One I was thinking of that I really liked is there's, there's an episode where there's a uh, carnival where people are running away in terror.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you know those clowns where uh, you're supposed to fire water out of a pistol into their mouths in order to win the prize? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're real clowns that push the countertop away and then run away. <laughs> that is a good gag. Yeah, or even before then, there's uh, so like there's people you know running away with their arms up, and there's a mime who's walking against the wind. <laughs> the show is full of lots of good stuff like that, and, and I think um, another thing in there is like uh, Jenny. Uh, the nature of her ro- robotic body is that she can extend devices out of herself, or morph her existing body parts into weapons or uh, tools.
0: Yeah, she's basically built to be a. She's a robot with the built-in ability to transform for battle purposes.
1: Yeah. So for, for both storytelling and animation, she can pretty much do anything. Uh, her most consistent ability is to fly by thrusters that come out of her feet and ponytails. Yeah. Um, so anyway, to this, to this particular episode, Escape from uh, Cluster Prime. Uh, it's directed by the show creator, Rob Renzetti and Chris Savino. It's a season two episode, but it's 47 minutes long. So you can really think of it as the M-L-A-A-T-R movie. Yeah. Um, It features Jenny's nemesis, Queen Vexus, and her robot army called The Cluster. Uh, Vexus is voiced by the late Eartha Kitt. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's a robot uh, with a scarab and Egyptian sort of design. And all of her warriors similarly have a bug motif to them. Initially, the Cluster wanted Jenny to join them before this uh, this movie. But by this point, Vexus seems merely to want revenge against her and to conquer the Earth. So, the story begins. Uh, the, the town this place is set is called Tremerton, and it's celebrating its tricentennial. It was founded, this town, at the end of a fissure from a great earthquake. Seems pretty unwise, but that's what they it's did. worth noting, so, by
0: the way, just thinking about the... Um Uh, the tricentennial thing. It's worth noting that this show is set in the future. Yeah. I noticed that, that there are some
1: things like police with hover cars or hover uh, scooters. Actually, a funny thing about that is the show. uh, uh, When was it made? What did I say? I think it's
0: 2003.
1: Right. One of the things I think is kind of funny is when uh, Dr. Wakeman communicates with Jenny, Jenny produces a monitor To show the the doctor's face, (laughs) and the style being what it is, I like that the monitor has a three-dimensional bubble effect to the lens. Yeah, because that's just black and white, if
0: I remember correctly.
1: Oh, I guess there's that too. Yeah. Ah, who knows? Maybe it's a conscious choice then. So while the festivities are going on, Jenny's also fighting the cluster nearby, and when she attempts to disable a missile, she causes a lot of collateral damage. With the rocket debris and her her lasers ricochet off the surface. Uh, So there's like another really good gag here. Like there's a series of laser gags. The one that I especially liked was the lasers perforate the hat of an (laughs) Abraham Lincoln impersonator. But then the hat falls apart and he's got a column of curly hair that perfectly fits the hat. Yeah, this stovepipe hair. Yeah. So to top her gaffe, Jenny tosses the warhead of the missile into the fissure. And Dr. Wakeman chides her, like, she's not disarmed the missile. So Jenny tries, but it blows up, extends the fissure into town. So that even though Jenny wins the day, and Vexus retreats uh, via a portal in her floating platform, everybody's scornful of the amount of destruction that she caused. And Dr. Wakeman, too, is chastising her for showboating and and, and, uh, not being as careful. Later that night, when Jenny's sitting in the wreckage and feeling all glum, she accidentally reactivates Vexus' portal and gets sucked in to the Cluster Homeworld, Cluster Prime. Uh, at first, it seems like a nightmare world of deadly compactors and smelting fires, uh, and because her, dad, her gadgets are damaged, she barely survives and is captured. But her captors mistake her for a truant teenager native to the area, and they put her in school. While she's at school, the mechanical Robotropolis seems... Like, it's not so different from Earth, except that everyone is a robot. And there's a lot of uh, gags uh, that I think bite at the same apple as Futurama. Mm. Like, uh, robots being also containers or buildings or devices. Yeah. So, like, a robot will be a film projector, for example, or a dog will be a toaster.
0: Yeah. Jenny
1: makes friends uh, with the other teenage robots including a robot girl named Vega. And she blends in there uh, in Cluster Prime and has fun with her new friends. Not going to mention the other friends? Uh, I guess. Do they, do they matter that much?
0: Well, they're robot equivalents of Brad, Tuck, and Sheldon.
1: Oh, you know, I didn't even realize that.
0: Drab, uh, Tank, and Shell, I think their names are. I think the, the short one's tough. Oh, yeah, you might be right, yeah. Yeah. No, I hadn't
1: really realized that, actually. That's funny. So I guess then Vega is her own
0: equivalent. Yeah. Although Vega is important for her own reasons.
1: Yeah. So because in Cluster Prime, there's a monstrous depiction of her as XJ9 as a sort of boogeyman, nobody recognizes the real her. Also, Jenny figures out the oddity that in Cluster Prime... None of the robot populace have superpowers as she does. Meanwhile on Earth, the cluster warriors have attacked Tremerton. But Brad and Tuck, those brothers I had mentioned, they form a, resist- a resistance and recruit other humans to fight back. But funny enough, Britt and Tiff, the popular girls, put on villainous outfits and betray humanity to cheer on the invasion. As they should. Yeah. I like that kind of thing, actually. Yeah. There is an anime trope is the, uh, the human that takes the first opportunity to betray humanity.
0: Well, going back to what you said, that also kind of seems like something that Bulk and Skull would do if they had the brains for it. Oh. Like, if, you know, like if, if they were smart enough to side with Rita Repulsa's putties, they probably would. I would have liked to have seen an episode where
1: they were like standing next to the other henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was like, you know, a video effect or something or a bad green screen.
0: Yeah, get them putties the pink <laughs> yeah. one's over there
1: heck if they'd gotten to put on some of the uh, tokusatsu kind of like monster outfits too but you can <laughs> still see enough of their faces uh, anyway I digress so Dr. Wakeman and Sheldon plan to figure out how to teleport to Vexus's attack ship because they think they're under the belief that Jenny's been captured and they have to rescue her there's a good gag here too actually uh, where Dr. Wakeman changes out of her lab coat into a secret agent sort of garb. And she completes it. She's got kind of like this tall hairstyle. She mm-hmm. completes it by pulling a helmet out of her hair. And then putting it over top on her
0: head. I didn't notice that she did that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. That's so good. So this may be something that you know, having seen the whole series. I haven't seen all of
0: it, but I've seen some. So I'll I'll try to tell you.
1: Well, the doctor and Sheldon go uh, to the underground chambers. Mm-hmm. And Sheldon sees uh, XJ's one through eight and suggests using them. Yes. Uh, It never comes back. So uh, my guess is it must mean something in other parts of the series.
0: Um, In the first season, there's an episode called Sibling Tsunami, where Jenny is kind of lamenting the fun that Brad and Tuck can have together. And, Mm. And she's lonely by herself. And by pure chance, she finds the other XJ robots and accidentally Mm. activates them and is overjoyed to have sisters. But it turns out that there's a reason, you know, they're all unfinished prototypes. Um, and there's a reason that they didn't stick and she did. And Dr. Wakeman is like, you know, once she finds out, she's like, you activated the other ones. No, they're, they're unfinished prototypes and they all have flaws. Um okay. one that I like is the XJ5. I think has the same voice as Neptur from Adventure Time. Hmm. Um but they all have like th- there's there's some pretty good gags there. Like XJ seven is just manically depressed. And Jenny's like, Oh, what's the matter, XJ seven? What's wrong? And XJ seven's like, Oh, you know, life, the universe, everything. Hey. That's that's not a I'm I'm kind of over Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references at this point, but in right. 2003, that's a good gag. But um, hmm. yeah, they, they do get put to sleep at the end. There's actually a good gag where they're all saying good night to each other. And uh, Dr. Wakeman goes past and says, good night, XJ's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And they're good. Like, good night, mom. And then she says, and good night, XJ10. And are like, what? I was like, just kidding.
1: In this episode, it's just a callback. I'm surprised it's in it, actually. Well,
0: they probably wouldn't do anything. It's probably just, you know, if they're, one, it might be a thing where people would go like, well, in, they're in the workshop, why don't they see the other robots? And two, if they need a robot, why don't they use the other XJs? Hmm. And it's just established, you know, Dr. Wakeman doesn't like using the other XJs because they are not as advanced. Like, they're they are flawed. Like, XJ1 can just shoot grease. XJ3 falls apart constantly. Like, they all, they're all flawed robots. Hmm. But sentient creatures,
1: so... I guess I guess it never delves into that.
0: Yeah. They're asleep.
1: Yeah. Back on uh, Cluster Prime, uh, Jenny finds that old habits die hard. She's taken to adopting a disguise in order to continue being a hero in the Robotropolis. And she proves popular with the masses, but law enforcement contrives a false emergency to capture this new vigilante. Dr. Wakeman and Sheldon's quantum defibrillator and time fisher capsule inventions neither work on their own but they get frustrated and have a scuffle and improbably the two inventions tip against each other and form one functional machine haha yeah. i guess th- this kind of jumps all around i'm gonna skip most of the rebellion stuff though because you can just kind of take that yeah uh jenny's while she's on the run from law enforcement hides in queen vexus's palace Uh, Part of the myth of her being a monster, Jenny, a Jenny being a monster, is that she destroyed the golden microchips that would enable all the robots of Cluster Prime to shape change like she does. But in the palace, she finds a large collection of such chips. Vega, in turn, finds Jenny, and it turns out that Vega is Vexus's daughter. When she sees the golden chips, it makes Vega call into question her loyalties. When the law catches up with Jenny, their indiscriminate fire puts the general populace in danger, but Jenny protects them. A lot of things converge here. Vexus, Dr. Wakeman, and Sheldon have a space chase to get back to Cluster Prime. And uh, when Jenny and Vega spread the word about the propaganda about the chips, Vexus arrives and batters the damaged heroin. But Dr. Wakeman arrives and takes Vexus, on in, a, Vexus in a hand-to-hand fight. As another really good joke here, while they're wrestling, Dr. Wakeman, they got like both their other hands are all occupied, and Dr. Wakeman uses her pointy nose to jab Vexus in the eye. That's a good gag, yeah. Anyway, by the end, Vexus, or Vega rather, ultimately betrays her mother by distributing the golden ships to the populace and starting a revolution. And after Vexus runs away, there's conflict within Jenny about whether or not she should remain on this planet full of robots. But because the uh, Cluster General is still threatening Earth and intends to blow up the planet, it reminds her that that's where she's truly needed. So she races back, manages to stop a self-destruct, and we come to the happy ending of the show. Hooray. Yeah. Um, It's kind of funny. My life as a teenage robot was something that I kind of took a pass on at the time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because I had quite a bit of fatigue from shows that were like it.
0: Yeah, I can understand that.
1: Yeah, like Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. And watching episodes now, you know, there sometimes you have shows that you kind of don't watch, but kind of have seen. And then when you watch them, you piece it all together. I hadn't seen enough to really have any firm memories of any of this. Mm-hmm. I like Jenny. I don't much like Brad. <laughs> I think combination of design and voice. I'm just not into him.
0: Yeah. He doesn't really serve that much of a purpose like sheldon's the one infatuated with her sheldon's the one who is also an inventor brad there's no kind of romantic subplot between the two he's just there as a friend and i mean i guess that's has value but at the same time like what is his role there's ingredients that should make him likable to me. Like, his
1: design's kind of interesting. I like that he's got, like, his shirt tails out from underneath a cardigan. It's kind of mm-hmm. neat, and uh, I like that he plays with his little brother. Yeah. But, I don't know, he's just kind of annoying. And as a little weird bit of trivia, his voice actor is Crackle from the Rice Krispies commercials. That's weird. So, yeah, the, the, the look of uh, the show, it's kind of weird. Like, I think... There... It, a lot of shows kind of have run, run with the ball since uh, Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab. Yeah. And those shows to me have a very sort of dim color palette. Whereas you kind of look at a show like, say, Steven Universe now, mm-hmm. everything's brighter, you know? Or, uh, yeah. or Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Yeah. I also think the drawing is is generally better in these shows as well, but
0: uh. they're not afraid to play with character designs in weird ways. You know, like like Doctor Wakeman having both her eyes on like the same side of her head, like a like a fish kind of. But you can just right. get away with that because it's just that's the perspective that she's shown at. Actually, one of the things I do like in the color palette of the show
1: is uh, the degree to which lighting can fully change the uh, colors of the characters,
0: especially Jenny. Yes, like that Jenny's she's in so many, you know, she's light blue, kind of a teal color normally, but like she could be purple or orange or whatever is necessary based on the light that she's in. Yeah, that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah. So
1: overall, I think uh pretty good show might watch more of it, but uh, it's going to be behind my priority on star versus the
0: forces of evil. That's fair. I think Star is, is probably the better show and it's also a serial. So like you want to see the end of that. Um, Something that I like about, just one little thing that I like about um, My Life as a Teenage Robot, I like when characters have little quirks to them that are not really mentioned or they don't make a big deal out of it. It's just something about their character that you you might not even notice at first, but you eventually accept. Like mm-hmm. um, a great example of this would be in Bob's Burgers, how whenever Tina runs, her arms don't move. She just holds her arms straight down at her sides. Okay. And it's never mentioned. It's not a plot point of anything. Even there's an episode where she's running for the entire episode and it's never brought up. It's just a thing about her character that just is. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I like about Dr. Wakeman. The fact that she, when she's saying Jenny's full name, which she always does, she never calls her Jenny. She pronounces nine as a two syllable word. Hmm. XJ Nyan. Hmm. And there, I mentioned her sisters earlier. Yeah. She does that with them too. x Five. There's an episode where XJ5 says something and uh, Dr. Wakeman calls her XJ5. Hmm. I guess that'll probably do it for this week. So we're going to assign each other some things for next week. Um, we've decided to go back to the roots and do a couple of uh, animated shorts. So Micah... I decided to go for some some things by noted companies, but unusual ones. All right. The two that I want you to watch are The Dot and The Line. Oh, okay. Yeah. And <laughs> Gerald McBoing Boing. Okay. Well, I
1: went... With two Terry Tunes.
0: Terry Tunes.
1: Yeah, I always get Terry Tunes mixed up with Harvey Tunes.
0: What's Terry Tunes? Is that like the the crows? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: Okay, Would so you... I've chosen from wildly different periods. <laughs> one is the Mighty Heroes and the episode is The Ghost Monster. The other one, is a gandy goose cartoon called the magic
0: pencil interesting i can sort of almost picture gandy goose in my head it's interesting we'll talk about him next week yeah all right so until next week if you have any feedback for us you can follow us on twitter i'm at ac matzy i'm on twitter at drabswatch
1: thanks for watching everyone and everybody Recite the Celery Stalker's slogan.
0: This letter, having read it, all has been made clear.